Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Ag Innovation News Podcast, presented by the Agricultural Utilization Research Institute of Minnesota. I'm Dan Scogan, Director of Government and Industry Relations for AURI. Guests on the Ag Innovation News Podcast will shed light on innovations in value-added agriculture, highlight important voices and work that's being done throughout the Minnesota ag sector, and educate the public about resources and organizations that support Minnesota agriculture. Today, we have two special guests who will be sharing their insight and expertise on industrial fermentation. This has been an increasingly important topic across the globe, so much so that it will be the focus of a panel discussion at the upcoming New Uses Forum on April 11th, where today's podcast guests will be sharing their thoughts on industrial fermentation using agricultural commodities and egg-derived co-products as feedstocks to provide a sustainable alternative to fossil resources-based products, as well as how fermentation can create new market opportunities and impact agricultural producers by offering a new avenue for the sustainable economic development of rural communities. So please join me in welcoming Dr. Jill Zulo and John Veldhaus to our podcast today. Dr. Jill Zulo is Global Managing Director, Biointermediates in Cargill Bioindustrial. She's responsible for driving the commercialization of renewable chemical intermediates by leveraging consumer and market insights and creating an ecosystem of technical and commercial partners. Jill is the chairperson of the Core Joint Ventures Board of Directors, which will produce renewable 1,4-butane diol. John Veldhaus is the CEO of Core LLC, a joint venture of Cargill and Helm Egg. Core supports material producers and brand owners in making more sustainable products using Cura, a renewable drop-in chemical intermediate. John has a unique mix of technical and commercial expertise that has been developed across several roles in startup environments, Cargill and Cargill Joint Ventures. John holds a degree in biotechnology from St. Cloud State University in St. Cloud, Minnesota. So I want to welcome Jill and John to the program today. And before we start, and and Jill, I think we'll start with you or Dr. Zulo. Could each of you share a little more about your professional background related to fermentation and renewable energy? And and Dr. Zulo, let's start with you. Thanks, Dan. Really happy to be here today. So I guess I'll start from the beginning and and really with education. So I received a, a PhD in microbial fermentation from Iowa State and then started my career at Cargill actually in Eddyville, Iowa, working on the scale-up of a number of different fermentation technologies. And then a journey over 28 years, it doesn't feel that long, but it's been 28 years, of developing new processes and technologies for new products, mostly from fermentation, really utilizing the agricultural materials that we find here in the Midwest. And John, how about you and a little more professional background related to fermentation and renewable energy? Thanks, Dan. Very similar to Jill's, actually. I have, as you stated, a bachelor's degree in biotechnology, so very much molecular biology focus. And after getting that, I spent the next 25 years navigating the fermentation industry. So I've had the opportunity to work in in startups focused on bio-based pesticides, all the way through, you know, working multiple roles in Cargill and in food, as well as industrial applications, you know, developing new to the world fermentation technology constructing fermentation facilities and and operating large-scale assets around the globe. 
about halfway through my career, I decided science and in the technology wasn't all that that I wanted to focus on. And so I've spent a little bit more time focused on developing new businesses and had the opportunity to develop a new joint venture in Cargill called Core. And that's where I am today leading that joint venture. And Jill, for the benefit of our listeners today and, and also for the benefit of the moderator, we're going to start with some basic information. Can you give me a short overview of how fermentation can be used as a renewable energy source? Certainly. So fermentation is a technology that in general converts a feedstock. In our cases, it mostly comes from dextrose derived from corn into another product. So when we think about renewable energy, fermentation allows us to convert the dextrose from corn and or wheat, depending upon where you are in the world, to products that can be used as a renewable energy, for example, ethanol or butanol. So it's not just renewable energy, but it also, as as John's introduction demonstrated, we can also produce a whole wide variety of products from fermentation. So they can go to food, they can go, fermentation products can go to industrial materials, or in, in this case, again, the focus on a renewable energy that can be produced via fermentation from agricultural feedstocks. John, anything you want to add to that in the overview of how fermentation can be used as a renewable energy source? Yeah, I think Jill did a did a great job. The only thing I would add to Jill's statement is as a technology, it's it's a little bit of an extension in another technology, and that's photosynthesis. And so where the feedstock is actually using, as Jill said, corn, to start, that corn is using CO2 from the atmosphere and the solar energy of the sun to make that dextrose. And then fermentation plays a critical role in converting that basic corn sugar into a more useful product. Interesting. John, while I've got you, let's look back a little. Uh, Potential benefits of fermentation have been discussed for a while now, but more recently, we've seen an increase in innovation and investment. What led to this? Yeah, so for the fermentation products in, in general, there's been centuries of building off of this technology, starting from the yeast used to, to raise bread to the beer and, and other beverages that most of us uh, partake in on a social benefit. That has been also harnessed to make more complicated or complex solutions in industry. So it started with food and then branching out into things like sauerkraut and cheese cheeses, and then maybe developing even further into things like amino acids that we find in feed products, all the way to ethanol that we use to drive a lot of vehicles today, and then the next generation of technologies that will soon follow. I'd like to build on John's statement there. I think a couple of things of, you know, why now? Why are we seeing more investment and, and more progress in this space? And there's a couple of things. One is really the technology advances in biotechnology. So the number of tools and the speed of which you can cater an organism to produce what you want it to produce. So we've talked about the dextrose that comes from corn is able to be converted via an organism to a product. Well, the tools and technologies that are used to change that organism to produce a desired product are 
more sophisticated and faster coming than ever before. And that will continue to sort of improve and increase. I think the other thing is really there is a strong need and demand from both consumers as well as I would say customers and, and investors on improving the sustainability or the carbon intensity of a number of different products. So I'll start with consumers, right? So consumers today, more than ever, really want to understand where their food comes from, where their clothing comes from. And they're starting to understand in various streams, we'll, we'll, we'll pick on apparel or fashion, that a lot of the materials they've come to enjoy and, and desire in their clothing are actually coming from a petrochemical route. And I don't think most consumers knew or understood that. So consumers are starting to understand that. I think there's companies within you know, the, the apparel area that are, that are really starting to also understand how is it that, that I reduce the impact that my products are having on the climate and on the globe and really answer both what my consumers want as well as investors are now also saying being more sustainable is good business. And so with this whole demand on more sustainable, I would say less carbon intense materials, then they turn to sort of unusual or new sources of products, right? So they can't go to their normal companies where they were getting their materials, they have to look to different companies. And that's really the area that Cargill has kind of stepped into. We understand how to process agricultural materials into a wide variety of end products. So we form different partnerships in a wide variety of markets, one in this one in apparel, and and John has some great stories that I'm sure he'll tell in this space. We also look in packaging materials, we look in beauty products. And so all of these end consumers and customers are looking for changes. And with the advancement of the technology, the demand from consumers, customers, investors, it really has come into, you know, I'm using, you know, perfect storm, but perfect storm in a good way that that really this is this is where we can really see that we can start to commercialize a wide variety of technologies. And I'll add one more thing in that farmers are also continuing to look for how do they become more sustainable and how do they then have new applications for their crops. And so when you put all of these things together, We see a tremendous amount of effort, investment, and progress in commercializing fermentation for a wide variety of products. Jill, it sounds to me when I hear that explanation, and it was awesome, it really answered a lot of questions in my head. It sounds to me like the Cargill team did a great job of looking around corners to see what was coming at them a little bit. I agree. <laughs> I think, and in fact, John was a, a big part of the team as we formed Cargill Bioindustrials back in 2018. We really did a deep dive on a strategy to say where are the needs from the market and the customers and the consumers, as well as where is technology today that is somewhere along the progress. We did not want to start from a ground zero technology position because the length of developing some of these technologies is extremely long. So we took more of a partnership model where we looked at not only where the demand and the need was in the market, 
but also where are technologies that line up that we can start to partner with a wide variety of technology providers and then improve that technology or simply straight out commercialize it if it was already in an advanced state. So we did quite a bit of strategy work and we really came up with sort of three markets that are our main focus. One is the apparel and and again, the the core example and, and the Kira product are a great example of that. Another is packaging. So as we all know, packaging is sort of this hotspot. And we've, we've all seen the images of turtles with, you know, the six pack ring around their neck and, and all the rest. So, so we really do have a packaging and a waste problem in this world. So how do we address that with recyclable, renewable, as well as degradable products? And then the third area is really in hygiene. We, we have some interesting technology that goes, and we've been fairly public about it, that goes to acrylic acid which then gets polymerized into a super absorbent polymer. That polymer is sort of the, the business end of a diaper, right? It's, the, it's the, the material that really absorbs all of the liquid of a diaper. And acrylic acid is, is a chemical commodity today that goes into a wide variety of applications. The one that we've really been focusing on is this, this diaper application. But we've spent a lot of time really thinking about what are the ecosystems in each one of those markets from technology all the way out to end consumer and customer. And we think that was really important work so that we could apply our resources and time to the area that we best felt could get commercialized. Wow, a lot to consume there and maybe could be the outline of a whole nother podcast. But John, I'm gonna drag it back toward renewable energy and the new uses forum that's coming up in April. How does fermentation, John, benefit various groups, say from farmers and egg producers to the communities across Minnesota? Thanks, Dan. And I think this is a fantastic opportunity to highlight how these value chains operate and how everybody plays a role. So we talk about ecosystems and we can use the example of CORE as creating or attempting to create an ecosystem around replacing petroleum-based chemistry with a renewable-based chemistry. And so that starts actually on the farm. And so in our agricultural communities across the Midwest, Agriculture is how these these new technologies and innovations will be enabled. And so we we start with the farm and and an example uh, for core is is with corn, bringing that in and processing it into a simple sugar at at a Cargill facility for, for us. And then, you know, working through the value chain to bring this new chemistry to a company like Lycra Fibers to make a spandex material that can replace fibers in leggings or yoga pants. And so that brings then the, the brand an opportunity to offer a more sustainable product to the consumer. And so it's bringing that entire value chain together. So instead of using petroleum product that's derived from coal out of the ground in China, we're actually now bringing to market the exact same chemistry that's using CO2 that's sequestered into the Midwest corn value chain. 
I would just add that when we think again about renewable energy, what we're really talking about from fermentation, at least today, though I'm sure that there'll be new products in the future. But when we think about it from renewable energy, we're primarily talking about ethanol and then butanol and then ways to get into sustainable aviation fuel. And, and I think we have a good example of, of Jivo, who's doing some of that work right here in Minnesota. So if we switch it really to focusing on all of the, the processes and new tools and technologies that, that I mentioned and that John has mentioned that has gotten us to where we are today with Akira, Kira, some of those same technologies and, and processes can really be applied to some of the renewable energy products. We're seeing commercialization of sustainable aviation fuel with Jivo. So Jill, I need to ask about the reality of using this technology. Is it still developing? Has its potential reached a critical mass yet, or is there still work to be done to make it really fully viable as an option? It's a great question. Technology is always developing. So it will continue to evolve. It will continue to develop. We do have some technologies and some companies that are commercializing technologies today and are offering products in the renewable energy space. So yes, it is happening. I think as more investment goes in, as different technologies continue to progress, I think we will see more and more, right? And so we all know, maybe I shouldn't take that for granted, <laughs> but we, we all believe that climate change is real. So how do we continue to really evolve and spend dollars and energy on commercialization and infrastructure that makes commercialization of fermentation technologies even easier? Right. And so I'll bring up maybe, you know, another topic that, again, might be better for another day. But certainly we know in the fermentation space, you have to, as you develop any new technology, you're going to want to scale that up. And at times you will need to be able to provide quite a bit of material off to customers. So one of the things that, that's really missing is infrastructure that allows for a pre-commercial quantities of, of materials. So we have a number of areas where there are pilot facilities, but really going up to that next scale so that we can produce enough product. I'll go back to my example of acrylic acid to really help diaper manufacturers test it out and demonstrate that it'll really work. Or in the case of apparel, you might need to be able to produce enough product to demonstrate, you know, uh, articles of clothing. Or in the case of sustainable aviation fuel, you need enough for the airlines to really demonstrate it in a wide variety of ways. So there are some infrastructures that are needed to help us speed commercialization. And, and that is one thing that we certainly, the White House has the biomanufacturing executive order out, and there is a lot of discussion and potential investment in that space that is definitely needed to help us speed all of these innovations to market. And John, if I was going to ask you to comment, I, I think I hear Dr. Zulo say that the technology is definitely there, but there is work to be done. Absolutely. You know, we're entering this new phase in fermentation technology that's building off of decades of ethanol, for example, right? And so all of the information that we've learned operating at scale for ethanol or other food and, and pharma applications is being incorporated in, in complementing the advances in genetic engineering. 
So I think Jill pointed out kind of that missing link, if you will, is the capital investment needed to, to scale. And so there is a true opportunity for, for public and private engagement to, to see these technologies through to make them more of a commercial reality at scale. I want to bring our conversation back to Minnesota and to the upcoming New Uses Forum, but I want to remind our listeners that you are listening to the Ag Innovation News Podcast, and our guests today are John Veldhaus, the CEO of Core LLC, a joint venture of Cargill and Helm Ag, and Dr. Jill Zulo, a Global Managing Director of Bio-Intermediates and Cargill Bio-Industrial and Chairperson of the Core Joint Venture Board of Directors. So let's talk about what we've been talking about in the context of Minnesota. John, maybe I'll start with you. Where does Minnesota stand in developing innovations in this field? Are we leading? Are we lagging? Uh, What's the potential for the future of the state in this regard? Great question, Dan. You know, there are areas where Minnesota is leading, and so they have a great educational system right here in the state with University of Minnesota that's strong in genetics and chemical engineering. A lot of good foundational research coming out of the university. You have also a great footprint of industry based in Minnesota, ranging from from ethanol to, Jill mentioned, isobutanol, and not to forget Cargill and, and some of its joint ventures that have their global headquarters here. And so you have that industry footprint across the state, ranging both from research and development and applied sciences to operating technologies. So taking it to the next level is really supporting that infrastructure and investment into the future. And I think this is where Minnesota is taking a hard look in in comparing itself against some of the other Midwest states in looking for opportunities to make investments, to ensure that these new to the world technologies have the infrastructure needed to, to scale up beyond the university system and bring those to market and bring that that investment to Minnesota. That's interesting, John. Jill, what would you like to add to that conversation? The only thing I would add is just all the work and networking that is beginning with activities like the Minnesota Cup. So really supporting the ecosystem and infrastructure that is needed for entrepreneurial companies to to really foster within Minnesota. So as a follow-up, Jill, I might ask, do you see some areas where Minnesota could maybe take better advantage of the benefits offered by this technology? Again, I think it's really putting some connection points together, right? So as John mentioned, we have a strong university system. As I mentioned, there's you know quite a few startups that are becoming, there are large companies that are commercializing this. So how do we create that space for more partnerships, whether it's public-private, whether it's really supporting startups to, to go forward? It could go back to the, the infrastructure that, that both John and I mentioned that's needed on pre-commercialization samples and that large, you know, sort of scale-up facilities. So I think there's a number of different spaces that we could all, you know, sort of form a network and really start to have some different conversations. Well, as I mentioned, uh, this is going to be a topic that's covered in the upcoming New Uses Forum coming up April 11th. John, you're going to be the panel moderator for this particular piece of the forum. So I'm going to ask you, what's the current state and what will some of the panelists be discussing in this group? The panel is is mostly set, so I can say with confidence, as long as everybody shows up, we'll, we'll have a fantastic panel. 
It's going to cover several decades of experience, ranging from venture capital, incubation, investment, manufacturing, technology, people that have, have built and, and bringing brands to market. So we have a great range of, of panelist background to give everybody an opportunity to learn more about the industry and, and what fermentation offers. And so we'll talk about definitely the opportunities as, as well as the, the challenges. So I think in summary, we intend to cover a broad swath. So Everybody, uh, no matter what your background is, uh, hope that you should learn a little bit from the, the fermentation and be able to come away from that panel with, with a bit more understanding and clarity as to where fermentation has the ability to take the state forward. And Jill, the title of the panel is a question, is fermentation the future? So I got to ask you, what are some of the emerging innovations in that space Certainly. And, and I want to go back to the sort of the principle that, that John mentioned, right? So egg is how we're actually going to address climate change. And so when we think about it as being, you know, for the future and a future solution, even the technology as it stands today, if we just refine and really focus on some areas that are needed from a carbon intensity reduction space, that's a future investment in a future area. If I think about some of the extensions of sort of the, the generalized or basic fermentation, I would say it's extremely active. So thinking about, you know, we have new startup companies sort of continually calling us and, and we have a group that, that is really focused on venture investments. So Cargill makes these investments and really, you know, helps to drive some, some new innovations and new companies. And so some of these that come to us, we're, we're seeing a lot of cell-free fermentations. So what that actually means is it's either a series of enzymes or a cocktail of enzymes that then convert feedstocks into these products without a cell. So you get potentially higher yields, higher efficiencies. You can't do that for everything, but they're working hard to really try to think about how do we reduce some of the costs or some of the capital intensity that's required for fermentation so that we can have more products. So that's one example. I would say we're also looking at products that are much further down a pathway. So in an organism, there's sort of a centralized metabolism that really focuses off of glucose. And you can go into some significant side pathways and those are becoming more common, more often you're seeing those because of those biotech tools that are allowing companies to do that faster. So really, when we think about what are all the things that we can produce from fermentation, we're only limited by how creative we are. Now, we've got to work to make sure that they're economic. So those will be the future investments or, or future innovations will really be focused on how do you keep improving the economics of a fermentation process? And there's a whole wide variety of tools people are focusing on and throwing at that problem. So I, I'm very excited for all the innovations to come for fermentation and then really leveraging these agricultural feedstocks, providing job growth in rural communities, and really connecting those farmers to these value-added products. And Jill, if I was going to take you back to the new uses forum and the panel, without putting words in anyone's mouth or not really knowing what's going to be presented on April 11th, what are you hoping for some takeaways from that panel? I think it's one, it's, you know, kind of to open 
people's minds and eyes at, at what are all the possibilities with fermentation. So that's one. And then I think, you know, to also bring a little bit of pragmatism into it, we do in the end, you need to build a facility and you need to be able to operate it and you need to be able to sell it at a profit, right? So some of the, just the basics. So how do we get people focused on lowering the capital intensity? Again, quite a bit of capital is needed to build any one of these fermentation facilities. So what are some of the innovations or what are some of the, the places that we could have a multi-group focusing on improving? Because really what that does is that all boats will float if we solve some of these problems. I also think, you know, kind of going back to this pre-commercial scale facility and how could we think about that maybe differently in, in both a public and private investment? So what are those things that we could really focus on and really drive some change that really allow more innovations to come to commercialization and drive more economic gain really throughout the state of Minnesota, as well as the entire globe? And I know Cargill is actually sponsoring that particular panel during our new uses forum. And I want to thank Cargill for being so generous as well. And I'm going to come back to each of you for a, a final comment on what really excites you either about this technology or what, what the future looks like. John, I think we'll start with you and, and just give you the second to the last word. And we'll let Dr. Zulo give us the last word. When you think about this technology and renewable energy and adding value to agriculture and Minnesota's economic development, what excites you about this whole process? The way all of the different technologies and external environments, unrelated environments are coming together. And so you have a consumer that is, you know, well-informed about the purchasing decisions they're making. You have a new generation coming up that has environmental sustainability on the forefront of their minds. Agriculture is a great tool to solve some of this environmental sustainability crises that we're, we're facing across the globe. Pair that with fermentation and, and more sustainable and regenerative farming practices. I think you start to see how all of these, these different players within that value chain have an opportunity to lift the, the entirety of the industry and bring it forward. And so from the farmer all the way to the consumer, there's, a, there's really an opportunity to harness this technology of fermentation. And it's such a great opportunity for all of those players within that value chain to move forward and bring this te these technologies and these innovations to market. And everybody has an opportunity to participate. So that's really what excites me about fermentation and how we're bringing agriculture, this technology, all the way through to the consumer. And Dr. Zulo, if I had to press you for something that excites you as you talk about this technology and, and its future, uh, what excites you? I think much of the same things that drives John, and maybe I'll just tell a brief story. In 2018, when we formed the Cargill Bioindustrial Group, we went to an offsite and, and we really got into the what's your why, you know, kind of Simon Simic's what's your why. And, and that's really what drives you, gets you up every day. And sort of without fail, everyone was, hey, we love to do hard things. And in fact, that's been the motto of our bio and intermediates group for a while, right? We love to do hard things. And we're really driven every day to make a difference on climate change, right? To really make a difference on global warming potential. 
And how can we do that in a wide variety of ways? And so that still drives me today. These technologies and this group of people coming together at that new uses forum, we can have an impact. And so how do we have those right conversations and really start to connect in a meaningful way that really can drive things forward and make those, we like to do hard things, slightly easier so they can be commercialized faster. Well, I'm looking forward to the new uses forum. It should be great. I want to thank Dr. Jill Zulo, Global Managing Director of Biointermediates in Cargill Bioindustrial, and John Veldhaus, the CEO of Core LLC, for joining me today. Thanks for your time and for a great participation in this podcast. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Dan, and thanks AURI for their continued leadership here. And we want to thank everyone for joining us today, and we thank you for listening to the Ag Innovation News Podcast presented by the Agricultural Utilization Research Institute of Minnesota. We also want to thank our podcast crew, Eric Evans, the AURI Director of Communications, and Lisa Martinez, AURI Communications Coordinator and Editor of this production. Now remember, you can still register for the New Uses Forum that's coming up April 11th, and you can find out other information on what AURI is working on by going to auri.org.